Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, good morning and welcome to church. My name is Caleb Korth. I'm the worship pastor here, and I've had the privilege of being on staff for almost 15 years now. Um, It is an incredible privilege to be a part of this church family. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our Holy Transform series, and we're going to be in James chapter 4. So if you've got the Bible app or you've got an analog Bible, you want to open one of those up, and we're going to be in there for the remainder of this morning together. If you're joining us on TV, want to say welcome. Thanks for being a part of our morning together. So my wife and I, we have been married 16 years, and um, I'm going to show you my family up here. Uh, We have three children, Emma, who's nine, Jack, who's four, and Haley, who's one. And I just would love to know what's going through Jack's mind right now because he looks like he was up to something or he's going to be up to something. Um, Our family has grown up here and you all have been an incredible blessing to us. This has been an amazing place for my wife and I to, to grow into and to learn into the church family that cares about us so much. And I just wanna say Thank you. You all are incredible. We're so blessed to have Bible Center Church be our our church home. Um, Before we get going any farther, I'd love to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into James chapter 4. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we're so grateful for the moments that we have where we can pause, we can refresh ourselves, and we can be encouraged by your word. I ask this morning as we look into James that you would give us insight into how we can order our lives to best serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing for this morning, I thought, man, I wanna make this creative and engaging, and I was trying to think of just witty ways to put the points together, and then I realized that's not gonna work. So we're gonna go for simple and repeatable this morning. So we're gonna see three different things from James chapter four, verses 13 to 17. We're gonna see a warning, a reminder, and an encouragement. So we'll see a warning, a reminder, and an encouragement. Let's go ahead and read the passage, and then we'll dive into it. James 4.13 says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Right off the bat, James issues a warning to us. It's this, now listen, or in the New American Translation, New American Standard, it says, come now. It's this call to pay attention. Not that the reader shouldn't have paid attention before, but it's like, hey, real quick, I want you to listen up. And he addresses some people who are making plans. Now, this morning, we're not going to hear about how planning is bad because, trust me, planning is really important. If you look at our family, I am not the planner. I'm more of what we like to call the creative. So um, I have things to do and I have ideas and love to go, you know, just right off the top of my head. My wife is the planner. Like she's got the schedules. She's got the feeding times for the baby. Like she's got like all these different things outlined. I just 
Please give me a list and I'll follow it. I can follow instructions really well. But I'm not the planner, but this is not a message against planning. This is a, me a message for how we should plan our lives so that way it matches what God wants you and me to do. So the warning right off the bat he gives is to believers. He's writing this book to people who know Jesus and who should probably know better. Believers who are confidently predicting the future apart from the sovereignty and the providence of God. So this specific area, he's going after some people who are running out ahead of God and what God wants for their lives. He's writing this warning to change the posture of their hearts. James is writing to believers that are completely excluding God from their planning. They confidently proclaim the future without considering what God may have them do. They leave no room for God to influence the direction in their life. Their motives are me-centered. Everything in their future is neatly packaged in a way that leaves no room for the unexpected and no room for the Holy Spirit. He's trying to convict those who are living this way to adjust their trajectory, to change their course so they can be on course with what God wants for their life. He's also encouraging them to invite God into their decision-making. Inviting God into our decision-making, planning, and strategizing is important. Why would we invite God into our planning? Why would we invite God into our future and, and things that might go on? It's because to ignore God is to ignore the only one that knows and understands the future. God is not surprised when crazy hits the fan. He knows the difficulty of the suffering on the road ahead as well as the joy and the blessing that can be found. We don't, if we, when we don't invite the right voices into our lives, bad things happen. So I find often it's so much cheaper and easier to learn from other people's mistakes if you can. So I'd like to share one of mine if that's okay. Um, in college, I had saved up some money for a car. And you might ask yourselves, Caleb, what kind of car were you saving for? Well, it wasn't just any car. It was a 1995 Volkswagen Jetta GLS in Sequoia metallic green. It wasn't just metallic green, and it wasn't just green. It was Sequoia metallic green. I'm not sure where they got that hue from, but it definitely worked on the sales pitch side of things. So um, I saw this car, and it matched my budget, was, which was amazing. It was like $400. So... I, you, there's no way this can go wrong. So I, uh, I'd saved up this money. I've got this $400 and I buy this car from this lady and it's, it's amazing. Like the color's good. The tires look okay. It didn't have a transmission, but it's not that big of a deal. Like it was only $400. So I buy this car, does not have that transmission, but I'm like, you know what? Like I grew up in the eighties and we were, you know, we're pretty resourceful back then because we had Legos, right? You just, build it. There's books. I'll follow the books. And I also happened to be working at Sears. So I had access to tools. I knew all the technical names. Did I know how to use them? We'll see. So I buy this car and um, Tiffany and I, I think we were dating. We were engaged at the time. Her father is like a master, like mechanic guy, gearhead. Like he can fix anything. Like he can pull apart our car and put it back together. And that's fun for him. That would be maybe a nightmare for me. Maybe for you, like, oh, you, I can't wait to do that. Well, I was not mechanically inclined, but I wanted to prove that I'm my own man. Like I can do my own thing. So I'm not going to ask him for help. I'm going to get this car. I'm going to fix it. And then I'm going to say, hey, see what I did. Like, isn't this amazing? 
So I buy this car, no transmission. And so my next step is to find a transmission for it. So like still trying to work on my budget, I tried to find the best transmission I could for the lowest price. Probably actually a better way to say that is I tried to find the cheapest transmission. So I was looking everywhere I could in back then, you couldn't go to eBay Motors, like that wasn't a thing. You had to go through classifieds, which you pull out an analog piece of paper, you look through it, like some of you know what I'm talking about, like you just couldn't Google transmission, like it didn't work that way. eBay Motors was still kind of dicey, so we didn't do that. So we went and uh, I went and looked for this transmission. I find this transmission and it was at the right price. So I go to Bradley, West Virginia, which is right next to Beckley. It's very, very small. On the side of the road, there's all these auto parts just sprawled about, and there's this shack, I don't know, looked like it was 100 years old. None of those things were seemingly warning signs to me, although they should have been. I went in, and the guy's like, hey, I'm gonna need a $200 deposit for this. I'm like, sure, like, I'm getting a good deal. This guy seems trustworthy, so I give him my money. Again, what could go wrong? So I give him my money, and then I wait a couple weeks, just waiting for him to call me back, and I start to think to myself, maybe... Maybe I should have thought this through a little bit more. But I'm like, no, it'll be okay. Like, you know, you talk yourself in and out of it. So I, a couple weeks later, I, the, I can't get a hold of the guy. And a, a couple weeks beyond that go by, finally get a hold of him. He's like, hey, sorry for the delay. Transmission's in. I go, I pick it up, and now's my time to do the big reveal to Tiffany's dad to say, look, like your daughter's marrying a great guy and he knows what's up. So I get the car. And I get the transmission. I'm like, hey, Jim, come over and check this out. So he comes and he looks at it like, hey, nice car. You know, how much you pay for it? I'm like, oh, $400. It's like, how about the transmission? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, about the same, like $200 deposit, you know, $400 altogether. So I'm only 800 bucks into this thing. I mean, like, this is awesome. And so he looks at it, looks at the transmission, looks at the car, and he's like, hey, great job. Only one small problem. That transmission's for a GMC truck and it may not work in the Jetta. He's like, I can't even make that work. And I'm like, oh no. I realized that I had gotten ripped off. I thought to myself, maybe I got robbed. Yes, I got robbed. I went, he's like, look, we're going right now. We're gonna get your money back because this is a terrible, terrible situation we're in here. Like, so I go with him, like my tail between my legs. We go to the place that I bought the transmission from and there's like nothing there. Like, it's like a ghost town. Like, the shack was there, no parts, graffiti everywhere. And he looks at me, and he's like, I think you got ripped off. And I thought to myself, yeah. So um, that was from Bradley, West Virginia, to Beckley, West Virginia, is like a heartbeat. But that trip felt like five hours. So we're sitting there in what seemed to be this prolonged silence for eternity. And all of a sudden, he says some words that caught my attention. He's like, hey, why didn't you just ask me for help? I was like, hmm. I thought to myself, because I was proud and I was arrogant and I wanted to do things my own way to prove I was my own man. But what I failed to do was invite the right voice into my planning. Someone who knew better, someone who was aware, someone who could tell the difference between a GMC truck transmission and what we like to call the right one. That would have been helpful. I didn't invite help into my planning, and so I failed. The mindset of arrogant autonomy gives a person the illusion of control. The mindset of arrogant autonomy 
gives a person the illusion of control. I had an illusion of control. I was controlling the situation. I was doing all the right things, I thought, but I asked for no help, no insight, no wisdom, and so left to my own devices, I failed. If I had asked someone to look at it, it that car would have been totally different, but I failed because I was arrogant. I functioned by myself, and I had the illusion of control. In this passage, these people are practicing that. They think they have control. They think they know what's coming and they're declaratively and confidently proclaiming, this is gonna happen. I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna do that and nothing can stop me. They fail to include the voice that is needed, God's voice, into what was going on. And when we fail to do that, that is truly a great failure. They were showing disregard for God's authority and a disrespect for God's sovereignty. They are are boasting, and James works hard to correct them. He is not pointing this out because he just wants to roast somebody. He's pointing this out because he he genuinely loves these people and wants them to succeed. And so he's warning them so they can get on the right path. James 3, 5, and 6 warn about the danger of the tongue. It's It's a small thing. It can cause great danger. And these people are boasting, causing great harm to themselves. We see the results of their tongue being unchecked by a heart full of humility. To these people, pride in their own strength is more important than trusting in God's strength and leaving room for God to work. So do we leave room in our lives for God to work? Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 sheds some really helpful light when it comes to this. James often refers back to Proverbs. As we'll see in a little bit, he also refers back to the Sermon on the Mount. So Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Fear the Lord, shun evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Acknowledge him. All these different things point to the fact that God is the one who understands clearly everything that's going on, the inner workings, the frailty of man and the majesty of his son. And these people are leaving him out of everything that's going on. When we come to realize the amount of control we don't have, it should force us to a greater trust and dependence on God, which leads us to ask the question, do we depend on God? Maybe better yet phrased would be, do I depend on God? Depending on God is probably not the the American way. It's I'm gonna pull myself up, I'm gonna make it happen, I'm gonna run ahead, and there's nothing wrong about endurance and perseverance But this is endurance and perseverance aside from humility and and submission to what God wants for our lives. So we see James has a warning for us. Next, we see that he has a reminder. In James uh, uh, 14 and 15, it says this, "'While you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, "'what is your life? "'You're a mist that appears for a little while "'and then vanishes.'" Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. He starts off this section with a shocker. He's talking to these people about planning. All of a sudden, he says, your life's a vapor. 
And it's meant to check them a little bit, kind of like a hockey player checks someone into the boards. It's meant to kind of arrest their attention and say, your life is short. It's kind of like the mist. Uh, the other morning I woke up and the, there was a beautiful mist in the mountains of West Virginia, which is amazing. But I noticed that it dissipated quickly and it was influenced by whatever was happening around it. It was influenced by the wind, the temperature, the humidity, all these different things. And a vapor and a mist is not structurally sound. It just dissipates and it goes. It's impacted by everything around it. And James is saying, your life is like that. It's brief, it's short, and it's over. And he's not saying that to scare them or to, to um, be trivial in any way, but he's saying, like, let's compare that to what we know to be true about God. Earlier in the book, in James 1, 16 and 17, he says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we see man is a vapor, and then we see God is unchange, unchanging, immovable. He doesn't shift. It's, he is the constant in our lives. And so when we think about who we trust in for planning, do we trust the vapor or the immovable, the temporal or the eternal? Having our thoughts honed in into proper planning gives us the ability to live in God's will. And so we see there's a reminder. James is giving us this reminder that our lives are short. We're like a vapor. Then we vanish. And to illustrate that, if, uh, like I said, I was born in the 80s. If anyone remembers zebra gum, like that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's instant, right? Zebra gum was the stuff they marketed. It had all these different flavors. And you put the gum in your mouth and it would be amazing for 10 seconds. And then it was nothing. It was like chewing on paste, or sticky tack, like it was not good. So you need another piece of gum. And so you'd work through a whole pack in like 15 minutes and all the flavor was gone. It was very temporal. Temp temporal. That's kind of another illustration. Like if the other ones don't work, that's it. Zebra gum did not work out. This is why, going from the temporary to the eternal, this is why we should willingly include God in our decision-making and our planning because he's everlasting. He knows the beginning from the end. And so that's why we include him. There's also a reminder for us to use humility when approaching planning out our lives. Our speech reveals the attitude of our heart and our heart should have a permanent attitude of humility before God. Because let's be honest, our lives don't always go the way that we plan, right? Sometimes life takes really, really hard turns. And that's not because maybe we did something right or wrong. Sometimes life is difficult because Jesus promised us that. In this world, you will have trouble. So in um, February 2010 was one of the months that was just, in my adult life, was the hardest month I've ever experienced. It was hard on our family, hard on me. And so um, we were planning our life and we had a, a cruise planned and we're just, everything's gonna be great because like the cruise is like the pinnacle, right? Someone feeds you, someone does all your dishes, someone, um, you know, picks up after you, like sunny beaches, like this is like the best. And so we got into that month and we're planning everything and um, we get news that Tiffany's grandmother passed away, passes away um, a couple weeks before we go on this cruise. And so we're, we're reeling from that and we're 
dealing with that. And as we're getting ready a few days after that, getting ready to go on the cruise, I think we may have even been on board. I found out my grandfather had fallen and he would not be able to communicate well the rest of his life. And that was hard because like we all know people that we love, their voices mean so much to us. And so um, that ended up being true. Um, a few, uh, we got home and we were parked for a couple days trying to make sense of everything. And then we found out that um, we we're having our second miscarriage. And that was just wrenching because to that point we didn't have any children. And so going through like the grief of all of that and this, this is happening again and trying to go beyond family members and just trying to love my wife well and trying to just keep my head above water. And then came the phone call that changed my life. Um, my sister called and she said, mom is with Jesus. Did not see that coming. And we were just crushed in that month. Did we plan bad? No. Were we seeking after God? I believe that we were. But I feel like sometimes when we are under that crushing weight of our lives falling apart all around us, we can look at things to blame and look at reasons why, but sometimes we just don't know. Like that was a bad month. It was a month that affected us, but it also reminded me that when we planned and we had things that our hearts were set on, when they didn't come true, it didn't mean God was less good. Because sometimes I think we're in the danger of thinking that, like the more good I do, the better my plans are gonna be, and I'm, I'm gonna be unaffected, but that's not what Jesus promised. He said that in this world, we will have trouble and suffering. So just because your planning goes off to the side and you, things run off the tracks, still be reminded that God loves you. He cares about you. That's different than what we're talking about here. The people here are going outside of God and want nothing to do with him as they're planning their lives. But you and I, when we live life and life takes a hard turn we don't like, we can trust that God still loves us. And that, I can tell you, is hard. Reaching for that, for humility in that, is so difficult. But when we are at our hardest, darkest moments, God never fails us. And he's there to walk with us through those things. There's a couple different things going on here. There's a group of people who want nothing to do with God's planning. And I think there's where maybe most of us would lie, where we want God to be in our plans and we love him and we wanna bless him with our lives. That's where I want you and me to live, in this place where we have our plans. When they don't go the way we want, we take them and give them to God and we say, you know what, God, I still trust you. Sometimes all we can do is trust God and obey him, even when we feel like life is doing us wrong, even when we feel like everything's falling apart. A verse that helps center my mind when it comes to hard moments is Matthew 6, 33 and 34. And it says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Like, isn't that so true? Like worrying can't get us anywhere. Worrying doesn't help us, but trusting in God, that does. Knowing the things that we can and can't control, that helps. Handing our plans to God and submitting them to him, trusting him when things don't go our way, seeking him first above all things. 
That is the thing that God wants for you and for me. Jesus instructs us to yield to God's will when we pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Only when our heart is in the right place can we begin to plan in a way that brings glory to God. So we see that reminder to be humble before our great God when it comes to planning. The last thing we see is an encouragement. In James 4, 16 and 17, it says this, as it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. To be clear, James is not going after the people because of their occupation. They could be easy, it could be easy maybe to come to that conclusion, but he doesn't have his scope set on their occupation. It's not wrong to plan and to go and to do things and like, I think for a lot of people, this is spring break week. I mean, what a great thing. That's refreshing. That's not a bad thing to do, to be refreshed. His scope is set on the heart. Like, that's what James is running after. That's what God is running after this morning. God knows our heart. He knows our heart when it comes to what we think life should be and where we should be going and how it should all fall into place. He knows it when we're selfish. And this morning, for you and for me, the God of the universe is inviting you to take the planning you have in your life and to surrender it to him because that's the best thing for you and for me. Because we don't have control. Because to not acknowledge him is to practice arrogance. To create margin and space for the Holy Spirit to come and, and speak into our lives and say, hey, Maybe think about that some more. Hey, maybe that's not a good decision. When we don't have any space for the Holy Spirit to work and we go, 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 and we plan, 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 and we just do, 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 we don't pause and listen for God. I feel like we're so good at talking that maybe sometimes we lack in the area of listening. Being still before God includes that. James is correcting the posture of their heart. God, right here in this moment, cares about my heart, about your heart. He knows everything that's going on. And this morning, he doesn't want that 90% of your heart that you're willing to give to him. He wants that last 10%. That's the hardest to get rid of for you to take and open-handedly present in front of him so he can deal with it. Can't hide anything from God, not even the intentions of our heart. The encouragement here is also to do the good we know we should. So James presents this case and he, he tells them to, um, to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James is saying, now you know what you should do. So my expectation is that you do good. It is good for us to surrender our plans to God, not bad. It's good for us to include him into our future and to submit to that. It's good for us to hear, no, don't do that from God. I feel like sometimes as a parent, it's, I don't enjoy it, but I feel like sometimes it's my responsibility to ruin my children's lives by saying no. I want to say yes to so much but at some point, it's like we've already been to the ice cream place. We maybe can't go 
and do the coffee shop too. Like, oh, I don't understand why. I'm like, well, because like, we can only have so much sugar before you bounce off the walls. And I think we hit that limit. Like sometimes for me, it's important to tell my children no, and I want the best for them. Like I want them to have all the fun stuff, but also want them to understand restraint. And the fact that at some point in their life, someone's gonna look at them and say, no, you can't do that. And I want them to not fall apart. I want them to have resilience and trust. I feel like so many times when God tells us no, we can get so angry. Like adults don't like getting told no. Like when the ice cream machine is broken at McDonald's. We don't like that because we want that ice cream, right? We don't like being told, no, you can't do that. Or no, do not go there. No, you can't buy another boat. Like those types of things. No, we, we don't like hearing that word. But sometimes the best thing that God can tell us is no. When our plans are set and we have our mind and our heart placed on something and God comes in and brings something our way that tells us no or that keeps that thing from happening, he's not wrong in doing that. And so by having a close relationship with him, and being submissive to him and praying with him, we can, that can help us determine what those things are. The encouragement here is to do the good we know we should, and we know we should invite God into our planning. So um, sometimes we, when we plan, we can pull things our own way. We can, we can do a, choose a good thing when there's maybe a better thing or a best thing. And when I was, um, Tiffany and I were getting ready to come here, we were visiting some churches. And I'd always heard, grew up in church, like, you know, you go to church every, every week and you in, invest in that and you, you get plugged in and do what you can. So we were in between ministries and we were excited to come to Bible Center. And so we were visiting some friends. Um, or we were um, getting ready to come here and we'd visited. So we, we went back to Virginia before we moved and um, we were getting ready to go to church. We were early. I think we we're even going to get like a cup of coffee on the way. Like that's how early we were. It was amazing. And so I'm backing out of the driveway and I notice a neighbor of ours has a flat tire. And so um, she was getting ready to go to the grocery store and like, you know, but I'm like, if we don't go to church now, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss being on time. So um, I was looking over there, but I'm like, you know what? Maybe I can go to church and come back and I'll tell her I'll come back. And um, her husband like nicked himself in the, the knee with a, a chainsaw. So it was like 17 stitches. So don't do that. Not good. So he couldn't help. And so we were backing out and I just had this war in my mind because my plan was to do something good. Like I wanted to honor God. I wanted to go to church. But I'm like, wait, hold on a second. My neighbor can't go anywhere. She can't do anything. She's stranded. And I'm getting ready to go to church and hear about how I should help and love other people and you know, do what God wants me to do and trust his will in my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Caleb, like, come on. So I stopped the car and I got out and I helped her. I can do that. I can't fix the transmission, but I can change the tire. And so I, I, we helped her and we had a great conversation. I would have totally missed loving our neighbor if I had just gone and done my own thing. And sometimes God puts things in our way to get our attention so that way we, we don't carry out maybe our plans to help us see other people and pay attention to other people. Our response to this and to what James is asking should be twofold. 
Our response to what God wants from us is one to make room for God in our planning. Do you create space for that? Maybe at the beginning of the week, something you could do is write out your list of stuff you wanna do and then just pray over it. That's a great practice. Maybe there's a big decision you need to make and you've been wrestling with it. Pray about it and ask God to help you. Um, wisdom it comes from God. That's a, the, the first part of James talks about that. And so when we invite God in, into our decision-making, that helps. And so a practical way is to pray, but also leave room to listen. If you listen longer, you hear more. So we listen. We work on that craft and that art of listening. Um, you can ask God to help you trust him when something doesn't go your way this week, which we all know sometimes that happens. But I can guarantee you sometime this week, you're gonna need to depend on God because your plans didn't go the way you thought. Then reach for him and ask him to help you. Ask him to help you to process that and give you patience in the moment. This is a lifestyle of prayer before God. Secondly, make room for others. One way you can do that is there's some books back there that um, we've worked on as a staff and as a church, we are encouraging people to get into it's a discipleship book. And so it's a journal and that's a great way to just mark out your life before God. It's got places where you can write the, the highs and the lows, the, the good points and the tough points in your life. And if one way you can grow in humility and in submitting your plans to God is being around a community of believers who are rooting for you and are going to speak truth in your life, a, a healthy voice into what's going on. So you can do that with your family. You can do that with a group of people. But I'd encourage you to grab those and do life with someone else who can speak in, in, into that. We were never designed to go solo. We were never designed to be on our own, but God gave us the Holy Spirit and we have this incredible church family. Whether you're here in the room or you're watching on TV, unity and togetherness is a part of the gospel. And so creating room for others to challenge us and to pray with us over decisions is essential to growing in Jesus. It's essential to having plans that honor him. So that's our response. We can respond to God by making room for him and making room for others. As the band comes out, they're gonna sing a song here. Um, I'd like to finish the rest of the story about the Jetta. So there's more to that story and um, I'm gonna share it with you. So I got the Jetta, total debacle, failure. We know that, that's, we're not gonna go back into that. But um, one, one thing I, I didn't tell you is um, I kept it for a while afterwards. So it had like a permanent residence on the parking lot at Appalachian Bible College in like the back corner. And they were like, when are you gonna move it? I'm like, ah, well, soon. So thankfully they never asked me for a date. I was clear to never give one. And uh, so Tiffany and I were engaged and we were getting ready to get married and I was planning our honeymoon and I had everything taken care of, like all the, T's crossed and the I's dotted. And so everything was ready to go, except for I needed a little bit more money for the other half of the deposit that I had made for where we were gonna stay. Because it's important to have somewhere to go. Kind of like an adulting thing. So um, we, um, I was getting ready to plan for that and we were um, getting ready to go. And I was like, man, like where am I gonna get this extra money? And so I thought of different ways, like things I could sell. I mean, like I'm in college, like what am I gonna sell my textbooks? Like as, maybe, but not anywhere near what I needed. Tiffany's dad calls me and he's like, hey, I see you still have the Jetta, which everyone could see that because it hadn't moved in like a year. 
Um, and so uh, he's like, hey, would you be interested in selling that? And I'm like, he's like, I want to buy it for $400. How much you paid for it? I'm like, you? I said, no, you can't do that. Like, you cannot buy that from me because that's like, a, I said, I don't want you to do that. Like, I don't deserve that. And that's not fair. It's not right. I can't accept that. He's like, yeah, you can. One, because I love you and Tiffany. Two, I can actually fix it. So there's that. I can get my money out of it. Um, but he, he cared about us and he wanted to do something gracious to us and really towards me, it wasn't graciousness, it was mercy. Like I deserve for him to rail me for that. He never should have bought that car from me, but he showed me mercy in a moment that I needed it. When you and I fail, when we fall apart, when the decisions we make lead us down a bad road, I wanna encourage you that God doesn't say, well, I've had enough of that one. God has never had enough of you. He's never sick of you. He might get frustrated with Caleb Korth from time to time, but he's never had enough because he loves us and not this temporary fleeting, but this unconditional, this constant force of love for you and for me because we're valuable to him. And you're not some random person, but like you, your name, your DNA, your thumbprint, like that's the person he cares about right now, this morning, in this moment. And so if you have not been following Jesus, entrusting him with your planning, maybe now is a good time to confess that. Maybe you're like, hey, look, I've been around this church thing. I've been coming. Maybe someone's been dragging you here. Maybe watching on TV and you caught us in between a commercial. If you've never put your faith and your trust in the one who understands eternity, understands you, knows your brokenness and your sin and sent us on Jesus to die for that and forgive that, today would be a great day to put your faith and your trust in the one who knows what's going on, in the one who knows all plans and can make sense of all things. Today's the day for that. For all of us, we can pray that God would help us in our planning. And I want you to know and walk away from this place knowing that we love you and that most importantly, that God loves you, has never had enough of you, and wants you to involve him in the steps of your life and your planning. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for Jesus and the hope that he gives us. We pray this in his name. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.